Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's time for DLC. Wherever you are, whenever you are, however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! Linda made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the game, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff, 2Ns1T Kanata, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who was once again shut out of the Golden Globes, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. It was just an honor to be nominated, Jeff. How are you? Yeah. You know what? I I appreciated your your disappointment face. You 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 did you did better than uh, what's her name? Uh, what's her name? I don't know. Watch the Golden Globes. I don't know. You married to Joel Cohen. Anyway, uh, she was the she was the big meme that came out of that. I'm trying to reference something and I didn't know what it was, but that's okay because we're not talking about memes and we're not talking about Golden Globes. We're talking about video games this week. And as always, you know, we like to say DLC is your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, DLC once again stands for Dad and LA comedian because you know him from Key and Peele, Reno 911. Terriers. He served as the artistic director for the LA UCB theater. He performs there all the time. He's been on this show and we're glad to welcome him back. Mr. Alex Berg. Welcome back. Hello guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. You have officially reached friend of the show status as a second timer. (laughs) I was worried we were on the outs there for a little while. (laughs) Uh, we got to have you back. Um, I have had an insane week, and uh, I'm glad to be back in the mind space of video games because uh, there's some cool stuff to talk about. So let's start the show as we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, of course, the part of the show where we discuss the most important stories that happened in the world of gaming this week and make our case for what should be the story of the week. You can submit stories to us by using our hashtag on Twitter. That's DLCSOTW, DLC story of the week, or by using our subreddit over at reddit.com slash r slash five by five DLC. Got a bunch of stories to talk about this week. Alex, as our guest, you get first pick. So what would you think the story of the week is? Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily the most important story of the week, but the one that I've certainly just been like kind of chuckling at the most myself is Nintendo giving up on Brazil for the time being as a video game market. Um, yeah, that's kind of weird, right? That it's, Nintendo. It, it's kind of weird. I mean, I don't know if it's just me. I don't, you know, I'm not a business guy. I'm an idiot. Uh, 
But it does seem like, oh, hey, we're just not going to sell anything to Brazil right now because we're frustrated with the tariffs. That seems like a pretty hard line to take. I, I have a feeling it has more to do with uh, with the Mario not wanting to get waxed. Is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a hairy guy. For, for Mario, Luigi, the waxing has to be a very painful process. <laughs> yeah, what they're saying is, as you mentioned, there these high tariffs uh, to sell anything in, in Brazil – uh, specifically video game console tariffs. Um, and um, Nintendo says, yeah, no, that's we're out. We're done. No, no Brazilian Nintendo games. You know, as a non-Brazilian, I, I don't really have an inside opinion on this, but I think any any territory where you can't get one of the major console manufacturers games, uh, that's that's kind of a bummer. And it seems like Nintendo, of all of the console manufacturers, should be wanting to sell to as many places as they can right now. Yeah, but, it's not like Nintendo's got such a vice grip on the console market right now that it feels like they can exclude a pretty big nation. I mean, I assume Brazil feels like a populous place to me, right? Am I making a, yeah. a, a false assumption here? It's not just like, you know, Agoutis and, and you know, Babarusa and all that sort of stuff winding around. There's actual people there who buy things. I, I've seen people in parades, so I'm sure they buy things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Parade people are known consumers. <laughs> I mean, they did say, uh, I guess, um, Nintendo's d- director and general manager for Latin America said that the, uh, the, the situation is temporary, that they won't be gone forever. But uh, what do you make of this, Christian? Yeah, I mean, Brazil is a, it's a big landmass, and um, there are a lot of people over there. And I understand it has to be a, a you know, a dollars and cents decision. But it is interesting. I don't think it's the, you know, I don't think it's showing it. I don't think it's the carrier pigeon showing that my crazy prediction from last week's prediction show is right, that Nintendo is on the way out. I don't think this is the first exit of many this year. I <laughs> they're, just, they're just leaving Latin America before completely leaving the manufacturing <laughs> yeah. biz. It's a it's trial really, run. They want to see how it goes. <laughs> You know, yeah. if this really works in Latin America, maybe we'll take it globally. Maybe this- <laughs> maybe we'll give up everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think it's that. I, I do think it's interesting. And I think, um, yeah, it's just so expensive to get stuff in there. And I don't think that they were able to set up, you know, to do some manufacturing there or something to make it cost effective for them. So I'm sure they looked at what they were selling there, which I imagine can't be tons because they're not selling tons anywhere and just yeah. decided to wait it out. Yeah, I'm certainly no expert of uh, of global, you know, commerce. But uh, yeah, this seems like a it seems like a major bummer from a video game fan perspective. And I'm sure there are a bunch of people who live in Brazil that want to play video games. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a more of a geopolitical issue really than anything else because it, it has to do with with trade relations, you know. And, and certainly not my area of expertise by any stretch. So it, it's all speculation from me. But it, I I think my takeaway is I hope it is temporary because you want to have these games available to as many territories as possible. So, um, Christian, you got a uh, you got a, a story of the week pick for me, man. I'm torn between two. I'll pick one, and hopefully we can get the other story in, too. But Rock Band's back, baby. Is it? <laughs> I, I think I kind of predicted that last well, week. You, you predicted, like, new Rock Band. This is, like, four songs of DLC are coming out for the Xbox 360 and PS3. What is it? It's, uh, oh, man. it's Yeah, it's three new songs. An Arctic Monkeys, 
uh, Avenged Sevenfold and the Foo Fighters. Three songs coming out at their standard $2. Said, when you said four songs of DLC, I thought it was going to be the uh, opening intro, the uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the tabletop <laughs> the time song, story of the week. No? <laughs> yeah, all, all of... that excited. All of our bumpers have finally made it into rock band where you can play along the part of this show that Christian wishes he could skip. Um. (laughs) (laughs) In the comfort of your very own home. (laughs) This is, I mean, Jeff, I want to know your opinion on this because this is, you did, you said that music games are coming back in Berg. I don't know where you are in the music game pendulum, but this is, this is weird, right? A harmonics has kind of gone through some ups and downs. They've laid off some people, some people left. Microsoft threw them under the bus along with every Kinect Microsoft ever made. And now they're saying, here's three new songs for the PS3 and Xbox 360. Like, what the what? What is this? Well, it's also like, if you're going to release new songs and try to get people excited, like, give us more than three. You know, like, I really read that article going like, oh, three songs of, this is just a preview of a library of 200 they've been working on. It's like, no, I'll get sick of those three songs before I get good at playing them on drums. <laughs> I feel like some guy was sitting down in his computer and like, oh, look, I didn't even notice this folder on my desktop. What is this? Oh, <laughs> yeah, crap, yeah. We, have, we have rights to what songs? I, I guess we should just put them out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, this <laughs> like is just an attachment someone forgot to send in 2009. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, cool, I guess. I mean, I I agree with you, Alex, that the the... This isn't enough to to blow off the dust of the plastic instruments that I no longer even own. Yeah. Um, you know, but maybe, maybe it's uh, it is as you said, Christian, uh, uh, the pendulum swinging back the other direction. Maybe it is like, oh yeah, these games were cool. These games were cool, and maybe it will lead. Maybe it's just sort of the the uh, canary in the coal mine of a resurgence of these this genre. So wait, so Nintendo tries to pull out of Brazil as a test to pulling out of everywhere, and Harmonix releases Avenged Sevenfold as a test to see if people are interested in yeah. rock band. <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. Just put a toe in the water there with Avenged Sevenfold. <laughs> you know what I would love to know is is the the sales numbers of this DLC. I would love to know how many people are like, yeah, that Arctic Monkey song is here. Um, right. You know, that would be zero, zero. You think zero. It, I don't think it's going to sell zero, but I think it will be a small number. <laughs> How many songs are there? Three, three downloads. Uh, the lead singer of the Arctic Monkeys, Dave Grohl, and the lead singer of <laughs> <laughs> Right, because these guys, the one thing I want to do is try to play with, without their band. Right, <laughs> like, oh man, I'm just so sick of this backing effort. If only I could do this at home, making a very serious face in front of my dog. <laughs> it's like the uh the the city planning guy coming home and playing sim city all day he's like oh <laughs> right, yeah right. I to play a video game a dude from uh, the tsa gets off work and powers up papers please just to turn his mind off <laughs> but yet every year we send call of duty out to the troops <laughs> every year every gotta keep them sharp gotta keep them sharp <laughs> all right christian what was the other story that you were you were debating with the Call of Duty beta launch launches launched in China. The the free to play Call of Duty. It has some single player. From reading the press release, it seems like it's almost akin to the single player experience in the very very bad Call of Duty Vita game. Well, I'm not saying these levels will be bad, but it's not like a story. It's kind of you know hero missions where you go through and it doesn't look like the each level is necessarily connected. Um, 
but man, I mean, everybody's trying, right? Everybody's trying to crack that market. And um, I don't know if Call of Duty will be the game that that does it, but they announced it, I don't know, years ago that they were doing this. And, and now the beta's launched. I think it's interesting as, you know, what does that mean for Western gaming, blah, 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 all that other stuff of the rise of um, free-to-play Chinese market gaming space. And Activision wants that money. Yeah, this is a very global episode of DLC this week. We got we got big stories uh, about you know far reaches of of the planet from where where we sit. But uh, and, and again, I you know China is this clearly this big gold mine uh, for for a lot of companies. They're looking to. There's a whole lot of people with a whole lot of dollars ready to plunk them down for stuff. So cracking that market in a, in a bunch of different mar- uh, industries really is is a big deal. And so for video games, it's interesting to see how far afield Call of Duty is willing to go as far as changing up what the game fundamentally is in order to have it fit that market. I think that's, for me, the most interesting part of the story and how they're willing to make it make sense for the Chinese market and, and, you know, have it be more free to play, having, you know, really catering the game to the marketplace. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I agree. Those are all interesting questions. I don't know. I mean, they mentioned in the press release that you can, you know, you're going to be buying weapons and and this, that, and the other. And I don't know how that experience changes in that type of freemium economy or not, where now it's not even people that have are better than you or have grinded more than you or played more than you to unlock other weapons, but people are paying for that, you know, red dot scope. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch to see how it does, because certainly other games have launched in the East under this model and have not done well and vice versa. That games have come out from there and come over here and we're just not interested in it or in that model. So I don't know. My prediction is that Call of Duty Online won't be a huge hit, um, but I do think it will be financially successful for Activision. So they'll keep it going longer than we care about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it looks like there's going to be some PvE modes that are exclusive to the Chinese market. It's just interesting to me how much they are willing to meet halfway you know like we, we understand this this game is you know very rah-rah united states so i i wonder thematically how much is it is going to change i wonder if um you know there's any concessions that way that that would be an interesting thing to find out i don't see this article doesn't really go into that but um you know it's an interesting thing where a game that is so jingoistic you know a, a series like this that it, that is so uh you know, um, patriotic for America in a large sense. Uh, I, I mean, I'd be even curious if the title Call of Duty, I mean, it's a whole, it has a whole different ring to it in a, you know, in a, <laughs> yeah. in a place like China. Yeah, it's very much like a Western military industrial complex fantasy game being exported to a very Eastern, like maybe not so cool with that sort of thing. <laughs> land, you yeah. Know? And the other it's interesting thing is, even if it's not like a massive, like knockdown drag out hit in China, even if it's a minor hit over there, that would probably be enough to qualify it as a massive hit in any other country on the planet. That's true. Yeah, you know, there's, there's just it's it, there's just so many more people over there. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm very curious. The Call of Duty games have always been kind of an enigma to me because I can't handle first person shooters because I'm a ninny. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's this is all just part of like my general impression is that those games are taking over the world, and this just fuels that fire for me. Yeah, it's interesting. 
Um, some interesting comments in the in the chat room that I just noticed uh, about what we were talking about before with uh, Guitar Hero. Uh, people were talking about how um, uh, you know maybe potentially the idea of these being self-contained, like a, a new version of Rock Band that's a self-contained console, like you, you just buy it. Uh, self-contained, you don't even have to plug it into an Xbox or a PlayStation. Uh, and then uh, I'm not crediting the actual writers of these because I'm not able to find it. But somebody else was saying that uh, they saw Guitar Hero in an arcade uh, and people lined up to play it. So there is um, there is some at least anticipation or at least appreciation of that genre still, um, you know, at least – uh, anecdotally, I see but, people line up to play skee ball, but they're not bringing skee ball for the Xbox One oh, to my home. But they should. They would. Yeah, totally, they got a totally brand should. new Avenged Sevenfold skee ball table, bro. You got to check there. It you out. go. <laughs> you miss all the DLC. You miss and just crack your TV. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Um, all right, so um, I think m- my story of the week pick has to be. This uh, article in PC Gamer about um, playable MS-DOS games in your browser. This is something uh, actually I tweeted out earlier this week. Uh, we, we did a story a while back about you know console games, or actually arcade, old classic stand-up arcade games that you know the ROMs are emulated and playable in your browser, and there's thousands of them, and that was awesome. But there's something for me that is so personal – about all of these games from my childhood, just looking through the the catalog here of these MS-DOS games that I played when I was a kid. And there's just something about like seeing that old CGA, like that teal and pink and white color scheme that was the only three colors that I had for a good like two or three years of my childhood. There's just something evocative about that that brings me back. And I, I found this to be so fun such a fun trip down memory lane and all these games that i completely forgotten about i mean these there's some big big games here but there's a lot of forgotten gems or even really crappy stuff that you're just like oh yeah i totally remember seeing that yeah did you guys have that experience yeah because i uh i never had a pc when i was a kid i always had a mac so i missed out on so many of those games so those pc games for me were like the thing, the really cool games you could play if you hung out at computer lab after school in middle school. <laughs> you know? so like, right. You know, and scrolling through it the other day, there was so much of a nostalgia rush, like for every, you know, like obviously the big ones like Oregon Trail or Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. There was also a lot of like, oh, I don't know what this game is at all. And I would go check it out nine times out of 10. It would just be like a horrible game. Like I tried playing some game I think it was called like Reveal It or something. It was <laughs> it claimed to be like an adult video game. And it was like, <laughs> Pong. I, why you I couldn't get out. the controls to work, but it was like Pong. And if you do well at Pong, I guess you see like a pixelated nude lady, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but like, even though I couldn't get it to work, trying to play it immediately put me back into that uh, like 12, 13 year old mode of just like game discovery when the whole world was so new and I wasn't jaded by like amazing graphics or like amazing gameplay yet to just be able to like try something out and and assume if it was crappy that that was just the best we could do and try to find something worthwhile about it anyhow. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, you, there was such an appreciation for just having video games at all. And one of the cool, one of the coolest things about this list is seeing all of these P- PC versions of arcade games that are terrible. Like 
back in the day when I was a kid, when the idea of a perfect reproduction of an arcade experience was ridiculous. Like you, that wouldn't happen. You couldn't get a one-to-one arcade game. You get, you get the crappy PC version that was trying to be street fighter or trying to be Paperboy or whatever it was. And it, it just, it looked similar, but it, because it was on the PC, it wasn't, it wasn't an exact duplicate. And it was just this crappy version. There's so much of that in this list of games. Yeah. It's so funny. There's well, also the a whole series of games I never heard of. Like there's, I think there's like 10,000, <laughs> you know, like Tommy's World games or something like that, where it seemed like just going through the list, the sheer quantity of titles make this seem like it was a major franchise that I should have had at least some passing familiarity with. <laughs> and I'm hearing about it for the first time now in 2015, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting how, you know, people complain about, Oh, it's just licensed knockoff games now. Like, oh, that's oh, it's just a cheap Nickelodeon licensed game, licensed property. But I think, as you brought up, Jeff, to some extent, all home games were that, but they were just the cheap licensed knockoff version of the real arcade game. <laughs> you know, you know it's like, oh, this is Paperboy. No, it's not. They bought the Paperboy license and sold you something you could play at home, but you ain't playing Paperboy, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 and and. I mean, there's so much here. I, I was I spent so much time just browsing through and playing a little of each thing. I should mention it, it's at uh, archive.org is the website that has this this whole library, and there are thousands and thousands of games. Um, <laughs> a couple of uh, ones that piqued my interest: a game called Thexter that I played a ton of when I was a kid because it you could actually transform from a jet to a robot whenever you wanted. It was a 2D side-scroller. Crappy, like, CGA graphics. Uh, but, oh, my God, in the day, back in the day, that game just thrilled me. Another game called World Karate Championship. I think it's from Epix. Uh, and all those Epix games I played, all the, like, world games, uh, Olympic games, all the Epix titles I played. But World Karate Championship... In its CGA glory, it's it's pink and teal and white. Uh, So much time I spend. There's a little referee, and you're playing one versus one karate. This is pre Street Fighter. This is ancient, ancient, like 1988, 89. Uh, God, I put so many hours into that. Just the most simplistic, lame gameplay. But I ate it up as a kid. And there's so much of that in the in this list of games. It's great. It's so great. Um, Let's take a quick break before we get to the rest of these stories. And uh, we thank our sponsor, Linda. If you've listened to the show, you've heard me talk about Linda. Linda is awesome. It's the new year. It's a great time to learn something new. And with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com, which we're going to hook you up with, you can learn new stuff. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. All their courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the site every single week. Whether you want to set new financial goals or work on work-life balance or invest in a new hobby, maybe even ask your boss for a raise or find a new job and improve your job skills in 2015, lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com has something for everyone. And if you visit our site, 
lynda.com slash DLC. We'll give you a 10-day trial. You'll get unlimited access to every single course on lynda.com for 10 days. That's pretty rad just by going to lynda.com slash DLC. Uh, you'll get access to uh, view tutorials on tablets uh, and iPhone or Android mobile devices. And you'll get access to new courses that are added every week. Some of the courses that listeners of this show might be interested in, there's Unity 3D Training. Unity is the engine right now. And if you're a kid and you want to get into video game development, learn Unity. Guess what? Lynda.com has courses, professional people teaching them, not just YouTube junk. This is really high quality, get right to the point, get right to the facts, give you the information you need type stuff. Unity 3D training right there. It's got a programming for kids whole section. So if you're a parent and you want to get your kid into programming or you're a young person or even uh, somebody that's a little older and wants to actually kind of start up that skill set, they have a Foundations of Programming, Programming for Kids course line that can introduce you to that world. And there's a code clinic, which is this innovative new series that they have where every month Lynda.com issues a code challenge, and then the authors share their solutions using a variety of programming languages. It's awesome. This is a really cool site. Yeah, you can go there and learn Photoshop. Yeah, you can go there and learn Excel or WordPress. There's so much more than that. This is high-level stuff, and I'm really excited that they're sponsoring our show so I get to tell you about it. So do something good for yourself. Learn something new in 2015, sign up for a free 10-day trial at lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash DLC. And uh, tell them Jeff sent you because that's what I'm doing. All right, dudes. Uh, let's see. We got a couple of other interesting stories here. Um, the Writers Guild uh, of America, which is the guild of writers that for television and movies and all kinds of media, they just announced their video game writing awards for 2015. These are games that were uh, written between December 1st, 2013 and November 30th, 2014. And the catch is they have to have both an on-screen writing credit and the writers have to be members of the guild. So I think what you're looking at here probably is a bunch of people that write for a lot of other media, but also write for video games because members of the Writers Guild tend to be that. Uh, but some interesting uh, nominees. Certainly you get um, Neil Druckmann nominated for Last of Us, Left Behind, which, uh, you know, Neil Druckmann is a writer of film and television as well. Uh, you get, uh, as uh, I can't even say it, Assassin's Creed Unity, which uh, has a bunch of writers credited. Uh, you have uh, another Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry. You have Alien Isolation with Dan Abnett, who's a comic book writer um, from SAG Sega, uh, nominated. Uh, what do you guys think of this? What do you think of this, Alex? Um, cool thing for the Writers Guild to be giving video game awards. Yeah, I mean, as a, <clears throat> a recent member of the Writers Guild, it makes me very excited because this makes me think that somehow I might be able to parlay base membership into a video game <laughs> writing career. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like they'll just go like, oh, you're a member here. Go over to Naughty Dog. Have fun. Um, but I think it's great, you know, and I think it's part of the larger conversation surrounding games about whether or not games are art or can be art. And I think it's a great recognition of the place games have culturally now, which is right alongside movies and TV. I mean, at least financially, games have been dwarfing the movie industry for years now. Um, and I think uh, video games are kind of in the same place now that comic books were in the 80s before Watchmen and um, 
and uh, Dark Knight uh, happened, or, or what's what's the Frank Miller Batman? You know what I'm talking about. Dark Knight uh, Year One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, um, you know, I think uh, video games are kind of in the same place where now that we have games like Last of Us, which do a really good job of being mature and still being fun. You know, they're not like dour still feels like a video game, but there's like a lot of meat on the bones of that Last of Us story. I mean, the ending of that game is an absolute emotional gut punch. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a real testament to the quality of the writing that they're able to keep you invested in these characters for 40 hours. You know, that would be like, how many, that would be 40 episodes of a normal TV show that you would have to still care, you know? And that's that's like three seasons or something. You know, that's a lot. Um, And I think it's great that the Writers Guild is acknowledging that. And I hope that that inspires uh, higher caliber writers to uh, come and and work on more video games. Uh, And because I just I I love a lot of the stuff that's been happening the past few years narratively in the medium. What about you, Christian? You got a response to this? I mean, I have I have big news for you, Alex. I actually just got an email and that. your thoughts on the WGA's Video Game Awards was just nominated for a WGA Award on WGA Writing Awards. So, yes, yes, this is how it happens. <laughs> congratulations. I, I, I mean, people know how I feel about Game of the Year. When I went through, what I did like about this press release is the WGA was very upfront about what it takes to qualify. They're not trying to present it as the best writing in games ever it is it was very very clear like this is what we're looking at this is what you need to do um i I mean obviously i don't agree that these are the best written games in that came out in the year uh two assassin's creed games you know whatever um i also think it's interesting that they counted left behind which was dlc you know couldn't be played without owning um either the original last of us or buying the a remastered version. I think that's interesting that counted as a game. And then I also think it's just, you know, interesting to look at Assassin's Creed. These other two games, Alien and Last of Us Left Behind, have a handful of writers in both Assassin's Creeds, as you would expect. I mean, there is a... You, you get a writer's credit for reading, for writing all of the writers that wrote the game. There are a lot of people involved in those games. But I mean, yeah. again, the the I agree with what Berg was saying. I mean, recognition is good, and I think getting things that what are otherwise established and well-regarded um, what's what I'm looking for. Uh, what is a writer's guild guilds, trades, people looking at yeah. games is always good for the medium. Yeah. And it, it seems like a uh, kind of a crotchety old, uh, you know, uh, institution that it's kind of cool that they're being that forward thinking and recognizing that this is a vital part. You know, the writer's guild, I should say, uh, is much smaller and more nimble than many of the gu- other guilds like the, uh, the uh, you know, Screen Actors Guild or, or you know, stuff like that. So uh, kudos to them for, for getting on board here. And uh, maybe, you know, SAG will have, you know, actor awards at some point for video games. And, and I just it's just another step, as Alex was saying, toward mainstreaming of, of video games as an art form, which is which is what we all want, I think. Which also, to me, it's video games are such a dominant thing. The fact that that's even like up for debate is crazy. <laughs> you know, like, that's true. Yeah, but they're like, oh, these are legit. It's like, yes, of course they're legit. Look how much work and thought and love goes into these things. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you're kind of right. It's it's almost at this point a moot point. You know, it's almost. Yeah. We've almost yeah. gotten to the point where it, it it isn't up for debate anymore. Yeah, I um, agree. A couple of other stories here. Uh, a couple of Blizzard centric stories. Uh, the first is that. Remember that big game they announced at BlizzCon, Overwatch? They got people all excited. 
Well, funny thing about calling it Overwatch, uh, they might not be able to. Turns out that the trademark that they filed for the name Overwatch has been in contention because there is an app called Overwatch that allows you to monitor in some way your cool paintball games or your cool first-person shooter gameplay events. And the people who make that app were like, hey, we already have this Overwatch thing and there may be some confusion. So it has their their application for trademark on the Overwatch title has been suspended. Um, interesting here. It'll be interesting to see how Blizzard responds if they you know, sort of litigate this out uh, or if they just rename a project that they got a whole lot of press about. Uh, I feel like you don't announce your your name of your thing until your trademark is approved. Netflix says hi. What what did they call there when they were going to split off streaming and mail and like the Twitter account was like a high Elmo or something? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's like Quickster or something like that. Yeah, I forget, it was something but... like that. Yeah, and the Twitter account was just like some stoner in the middle of nowhere <laughs> having the time of his life. Quickster. Inferno Cloud says it was Quickster. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't yeah, know. I, I feel mean, like that, that's the sort of thing just a quick Google search could clear up for you. You know? Yeah, like, you'd think, right? You'd think somebody at Blizzard would have the wherewithal to get that out of the way, right? But there's also Dota and Dota. And they're like, no, ours is just Dota. It's not defense of the ancients, it's Dota. I mean, I, I, sometimes I wonder if it's something that they're like, yeah, some little guy owns it. I mean, so, if you, I don't know how little this little guy is, but Blizzard has the money. I don't think, if Blizzard wants Overwatch, they get it. Mostly because they well, go to the, the app maker and they say, here's $50 million. And I'm, and I'm as the app guy, like, yep, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the... Really what happened is they assumed that there wouldn't be enough overlap. I mean, you can call Overwatch, you can call your video game Overwatch, and you can call, you know, the new wristwatch that you came out, the Overwatch, and no one bats an eye. It's okay, it's okay because there's no brand confusion here. What the company that creates this app is is trying to demonstrate is that there might be brand confusion because we're both we're talking about shooting stuff. Uh, for fun <laughs> in both situations. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I think I think probably what happened is Blizzard went, oh, you know, this is it, no big deal because there's not going to be any overlap here and they just got it wrong. Um, I I got to admit, I never liked the title Overwatch. So I'm kind of hoping they change it. Uh, I kind of hope that this is a, a opportunity for them to come up with a better title, but... Um, I'm know, over... I'm over one word names. They're, they all seem so generic. Bloodborne, Bloodlust, Battle Cry. I guess Battle Cry too. I don't know. Battle Cry, Fight Fight. Over. It's all compound words. Yeah, yeah. It's all Lighthouse, yeah. Race Car. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <Crock> Race <pot>. Car. <laughs> I have an idea. Uh, you could use uh, Christian Spicer. I would allow over uh, Blizzard to use my name as the name of their game. Uh, yeah. What are the have you guys played? Have you guys played Christian Spicer? It's uh, yeah. man, that game sucks. Yeah, the characterization <laughs> is so irritating. <laughs> the voice actor is the most grating voice actor. I'm not has, getting nominated for anything by any guild. It has to open with the with the Law and Order, like the events in this are you know fictitious, not based on anything <laughs> yeah. real. Welcome to Christian Spicer. <laughs> the problem is that your name isn't a compound word. You know, if it was like. Spicer fun or something, you know, if it was, you know, blood that, spicer, there you go. Blood spicer, blood spicer. I will, I would bet 
a, a dollar that it is a name of something. I bet Blood Spicer is one of those 2400 MS-DOS games in that browser. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very <laughs> aggressive cooking show. <laughs> it's all, who can make the best stew in the shortest amount of time. You will become the Blood, the blood Spicer. <laughs> That's right. I now have a name for our second kid, so I'm going to email Amanda <laughs> yeah, here yeah. real quick. <laughs> yeah, you can put that on the birth certificate, no problem. <laughs> Uh, the other blizzard, uh, well, it's really a, more of a rumor than a news story, but it's a rumor that, that has some interesting juice to it because uh, the 6.1 patch for World of Warcraft is uh, being prepped. It's over on the public test realm, uh, the, the beta site that, that you, know, you can sign up for and, and test out their software for them. Uh, and people were sifting through some of the data files and saw that there is reference to quote-unquote veteran edition, which is similar to the trial edition that Blizzard, uh, you know, incorporated recently for World of Warcraft, where you can play up to level 20 for free. So it's sort of like a kind of a free-to-play version. It's a free-to-try, I guess you would say, version of, of World of Warcraft. They call it the trial edition. And there's a lot of speculation as to what this veteran edition might be. Of course, there's been no official announcement. It may be nothing. My money is on that it is nothing, but it's fun to to speculate. I know you guys. I don't think I don't think Alex, you are. I know Christian isn't a big World of Warcraft players, but um, what 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 do you think about there potentially being a a free, even more free version of WoW, or maybe a buy to play version uh, that is meant to entice people who have lapsed accounts to come back? What do you think of that, Alex? I mean, I've never been, you know, I grew up on Diablo and normal Warcraft. Uh, and so when World of Warcraft hit, I said to myself, I need a new video game to get addicted to. Like, I need a fucking hole in the head. Um, you know, but I think it's good for game for for game companies to just kind of like reinnovate and reorient themselves towards um, towards the market and towards their own games every couple of years, you know, like, and just sort of being like, Hey, people may have forgotten this is around. Let's provide a new avenue for people to get in, you know. And there's a, a parallel thing for me with um, Dungeons and Dragons, where you know, when I was a kid, I played Second Edition uh, all the time, uh, and then you know, when I got older, it felt like I had lapsed in my attention to Dungeons and Dragons, and it was just I missed my opportunity to stay current with it until mm -hmm. Fourth Edition came out, and then I was able to get back into Fourth Edition, and now I play Fifth Edition and love it even more. Um, but uh, I can't type and talk at the same time. I was going to respond to Christian in the chat room. I can feel it. I can feel it throwing off my ability to talk. Um, you know, so I think it's good for, for video game companies to, especially for these larger titles that feel so monolithic, like there isn't a way in, to give people a way in. You know, and that way if people don't like it, at least they've had the opportunity to try it out themselves but it is it does feel weird as a gamer to feel like you're on the outside of a community and you just missed any opportunity to, to sort of get in at the ground level yeah it, it seems like an odd time for this to be introduced if, if it indeed is a version of free to play for wow because this big expansion just launched they just got back millions of players that they had been losing over the last several years yes subscriptions were down uh, over time year to year but this new expansion just came out it revitalized everything it seems like an odd time to go hey you know now you don't have to pay as much uh, but on the other hand it could be 
uh, a great time to strike. There's a lot of excitement about this new expansion. Maybe as uh, AJ Guy is uh, suggesting in the chat room, maybe it's the idea of get to play up to the new expansion with, without having to pay a subscription. So, you know, play up to 90 if you want uh, for free. Well, you, know, you have to buy the game. But other than that, play it without a subscription fee. And then if you want to play into the new expansion content, which was where all the excitement is, now you got to pony up that 15 bucks a month. That's a really interesting idea. Um, I think it kind of maybe perhaps revitalizes that lower level content that a lot of people aren't playing a lot of. Maybe maybe that's a way to get new players into that and then hook them into the, the WoW fun loop and then get them to be paying customers after that. I really don't see WoW transitioning to a full free-to-play model anytime soon just because they still have millions and millions of subscribers. And after every new expansion, those numbers surge again. So I can't see them, you know, I can't see them doing a full free-to-play, but this could be an interesting thing. Christian, are you you think there's a bunch of hooey or do you think this is going to be something? Is this rumor substantial? I think it'll be something or at some point was something. I mean, it's in the code that, you know, at some point somewhere this existed. And I think, as you talked about when they released the newest expansion, they make getting to 90 so easy now. I mean, I wonder if it is two games more or less, right? If you're paying yeah. and you then you have that new content, like you said, and if not, there's all this old content that isn't gone. They still have to keep it on, I don't understand stuff, but like on the servers or you know, sitting somewhere for people to access if they want to, and they can get people in and then try to get their money. It's like if you have this, you know, old toy sitting in your house that no one's playing with, and you're like, well, how can I get people to play with this so that they'll buy the new toy? And that's a horrible, man. They go on an adventure. No, they go on an adventure. I saw this movie. They go on an adventure, and then uh, there's misunderstanding, and they almost die, and then at the end, the boy realizes, no, am I not? And the dog, the dog. Dog is voiced by Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I love that dog. <laughs> it's the best dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think you make a good point, though, Christian. I, I think that there very well may be that kind of bifurcation of of you know, it, it's two games now. It really is two games. It's the it's the latest expansion and everything else. Um, you know, it's a game that's been around for ten years. There's a lot of content there. Yeah, um, that could be interesting. Um, okay. I, there's another thing I wanted to bring up just because so many, uh, of our listeners have brought it up to us last week. Uh, Christian and I did a special episode, just the two of us looking forward to this year that we are currently in. Uh, I can't believe we're almost halfway through January already. It's zipping by, but, uh, we, you know, we listed off a bunch of the games that we are anticipating and it looks like there's a whole bunch that we left out that a lot of, uh, our listeners wanted to bring up. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to, to hit on some of those. Um, one of the, one of the ones on the list, well, let's, let's, you guys are welcome to bring up whatever you like, uh, even Alex, if there's any other games that you're looking forward to in 2015, even ones we did talk about last week, but there's a couple here that, uh, I really am remiss for bringing up because they are high on my list. The first is below, which is, uh, it just, it's, it's a spectacular looking, um, indie game that is is going to kind of be a mix of dark souls uh, you know kind of hardcore content and like a top-down zelda and it's just dripping with style and, and it just looks awesome uh, and the other is the witness which is the new jonathan blow puzzle game uh and i'm you know i'm just such a fan of jonathan blow's stuff i you know i i think braid is 
a classic. And um, from all accounts, Witness sounds like an incredibly lengthy, interesting, uh, challenging puzzle game, unlike anything else. It's sort of a throwback to Myst, but it's undoubtedly will have its own Jonathan Blow-esque take on it. And he's such a passionate, committed designer. I'm, I'm really excited about those games. So, uh, Alex, how about you? You got a, you got a big, uh, big game in 2015 you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm not even positive it's coming out in 2015. I, I think it is, but it keeps getting pushed around. Uh, just the next Uncharted game, uh, which mm. I, I think you guys may have talked about already. But I, I love the Uncharted game so much. Um, and the Uncharted, the new Uncharted game was the thing for ages that I was like, that's what I'm going to wait for to get the PS4. And then I caved and, and realized that was a ridiculously long time to wait for a new console. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the thing for me I've really been craving, you know, and like all of the Uncharted games, um, two and three more so than one, but even one, I, I think do a really great job of having individual levels that I will frequently go back and replay. You know, like, I'll just mm-hmm. be like, yeah, you know what? That burning chateau in France is a real fucking fun time, you know, like, yeah. or I want to be on that train through Tibet, you know, and I think with the new uh, graphics capabilities and stuff, and just like the bigger, um, you know, the bigger programs, the new machines can run. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with that kind of world. So, yeah, yeah, Alex, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we got into this last time you were on, but. Where are you on your, like, I know where I am on my gaming spectrum of, like, this is my kind of game. I feel, not that gamers can't have a diverse type of games they like, but I know what kind of games Jeff likes. I feel like you are on two sides of a very far apart fence, and then I don't know how often you cross into the middle. Like, you will grind away at Diablo for forever, or, like, StarCraft, or Original Warcraft, and then that are very... Uh, not story based. I guess I mean Warcraft and Starcraft have stories, but I don't think that's the appeal of them. And, sure. Um, but then Uncharted, which is such a such a story, such a linear, such a one type of experience. So now, without dropping any f bombs, explain to me where you are in your gaming spectrum. Do you cross the middle at all? Is it just like you like what you like and whatever? I think it's I like what I like. You know, for me, I, I tend to. Uh, you know, I was such a platform gamer. Like, that was my favorite thing. And then when, you know, N64 and PlayStation came out, like, you know, Mario 64 kind of ruined platform games for years. Um, and now I feel like those kinds of games, I get that fix um, with Uncharted. I think, like, Uncharted, Shadow of Mordor, I think those are, like, the closest things we have to, like, platform games now, with the exception of flat-out throwbacks, like, you know, VVVVV, you know, you know, and stuff like that. So do you um, mean ruin? like everything tried to emulate it and didn't live up to it or you think it pulled it away from the pure experience that it, well, that it yeah, is yeah i mean like i know people have a real fondness for mario 64 and i i think it was great for its time but it turned platform games from kind of a very specific sort of memorization and timing and rhythm kind of gaming experience into more of a scavenger hunt kind of gaming experience that i just didn't mm. didn't like you know, and and then even when I was a kid, it was always like I would play Mega Man all afternoon. And then when I was tired of that, I would switch over to Final Fantasy and like level up for two hours and then go to bed. <laughs> you know, So I think for me, I, it's it's a more so than like, is there is it a narrative thing or is it a grinding thing? Like I need a game that feels like a big project. And then when I get frustrated with that, I need a game that I can pick up that moves a lot faster. You know, yeah, and that's so I, interesting. I, I tend to always kind of keep one of each in the chamber. Man, I love the way you answered my question well, 
while also throwing shade on Mario 64. Like, <laughs> came out of I the really corner did. swinging. I have a big problem with, with N64 as a console, but that's a whole nother, that, that's a whole can of worms in and of itself. That's um, a whole other podcast launching on March on 5x5. Five five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the Time Machine podcast. Uh, Christian, do you have any uh, any other games that we missed from last week that you want to talk about? I know people were people were out talking about Splatoon and Kingdom Hearts. Anything in there that? Yeah, I mean, I I'm was very aware of Splatoon. I mean, we both talked about being how surprised we were with it at uh, E3. I I want. I want to look back at 20 at this year and go, mm, I should have been more hyped for this game. This game is awesome. I, I'm still, I have some strong reservations about that game, but the last Nintendo made published game that came out and was awful, I don't know, uh, Metroid the other end, but that wasn't Nintendo made. Um, you know, you got to go, well, aside from, I, mean, I guess you got to go back to Mario 64 for the last real crappy game. Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so, I mean, I'm I'm hyped for it, but I'm also nervous. I, I think we covered most of them. And then, like you said last week, it's the unexpected. I mean, yeah, below, I think, could be incredible. But I'm hoping there's something, there's a swapper or something that comes out or a counter spy that I wasn't, wasn't on my radar at all until I stumbled into it at E3. There's something that comes along or even Shovel Knight was in. Right. Yeah, Shovel Knight wasn't and on my swapper, radar at all. Swapper, by the way, is super fun. I literally just started playing Swapper yesterday and it's great. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's really so, good. so, so good. I had, I had never heard of it before. It became like the PlayStation Plus download. And I, I'm so happy that it was because I would have never discovered it otherwise. Well, that, that takes us into a great segue right into our playlist. Playlist is a part of the show where we're talking about what's what we've been playing on our playlist. So you've been playing uh, Swapper, Alex? Yeah, I, I just I literally just started playing Swapper yesterday, and it's a uh, what I like about I just I'm a big fan of puzzle games. You know, I spent pretty much my entire uh, Christmas break on an iPad with like a cheap, you know, like dollar puzzle game I downloaded. Um, but Swapper also the the look and feel of it. You know, it's got like that weird, like half like claymation-y looking graphic yeah. thing. And, you know, it all yeah. feels very desolate and sci-fi in a way that me sitting stoned on my couch at three in the morning uh, is really able to get into. Um, right. But it's just the, the, the puzzle dynamic is very simple. You can create a clone of yourself and send that clone to go do um, other things. But they find really early on in the game, because I'm only about 45 minutes into it, they find uh, really creative uses for that um, for that mechanic that instantly kind of make you go like, oh, wow, I guess I don't know what this game is and I can't really anticipate what the puzzles are going to be. In. And that's very exciting to me. Yeah, I think there's a, an entire, I don't want to say genre, I want to say template, I guess, of, of these kinds of games where, and I love it, where th they introduce a mechanic and then they start, each level sort of starts iterating on it, starts adding layering on it, you know, and showing you like, okay, here's the thing. You got that? You got that down? Okay. Well, now what about that? Oh, you got that down. Okay. Well, what, how about using it in this way? And I love that way of, you know, bringing you down the rabbit hole 
yeah. with those mechanics. And and there's a, there's a whole bunch of games that do it in different ways. And uh, and I just find that so cool. It's it's basically like yeah, we had this cool idea, but then we didn't stop there. We added a bunch of peripheral ideas to 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 build it out. What I think is so great about Swapper, and I love the Metroid games, and Super Metroid is a fantastic game, but so different. Where Metroid you know, you're backtracking or uh, Castlevania games or any of those types of games. Um, you're backtracking, you're getting new weapons or items that allow you to reach new levels. And Swapper, the mechanic is the mechanic. And you get to a puzzle and you're like, I, oh, I'll come back to this later when I have new gear. No, no, you're just dumb. You can't figure it out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. some of them are brain melting. Some of the early ones too, you don't have to do it. So you come back to it and not because you've unlocked new gear, but because you did something later that maybe was supposed to trigger this new idea for you or maybe it wasn't like, oh, I can push this clone of me just to the edge of my screen and then drop a guy. Then I have enough time. And it's like stuff like that is awesome when you figure it out. And it makes me put the game down for months (laughs) in in between not being able to figure it out. But that, I think, is the appeal of a swapper versus a uh, even like, you know, a Dragon Age where you're it's about the loot and the gear and the grind um, a swapper is very much it's you uh, in this puzzle. And can you figure it out? Yeah. And, and dragon age is the other one. I, I literally just finished my dragon age game. I think three nights ago or something like that. Like n- not that long ago. Nice. So swapper is my like quick fun game. I had in the holster, <laughs> you know, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I love dragon age. Uh, did you dig it as well? I did. You know, uh, overall, I liked the game very much. Uh, that having been said, it was not without its frustrations. Uh, you know, and if you've been reading any of the commentary on Kotaku about, you know, there was a great article, I think like a week or two ago posted, it said, I wish Dragon Age respected my time. You know, that, that summed up a lot of my problems with the game. Um, I think the things that Dragon Age does well, it does phenomenally well. I thought the Story-based missions were so fun and so specific. I thought that the um, the major choices they'd ask you to make in the world happened frequently enough and not always at places where it was telegraphed that it imbued every choice with a little bit more importance than it would have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really great. Like That added a lot of really immediate stakes to areas of the game that, that you wouldn't expect to have those stakes otherwise. Um, that having been said... I was pretty frustrated just in how like Byzantine and difficult the menu system was, was like Mm. something, you know, for something that is so much of that game, you know, there's so much crafting and inventory management, skill trees and stuff like, you know, I don't know if I could have come up with a better way to navigate all that stuff, but I am positive there is a better way to navigate all of that stuff. And so that was a little frustrating and then also, yeah. I, I kind of wanted the game to decide whether or not it wanted to be kind of like a, a, a tighter, because it felt, I haven't played any of the other Dragon Age games, so I, I'm comparing this only to Mass Effect, which is perhaps not a, a fair comparison. Um, but in comparison to, say, Mass Effect 2, it felt like Dragon Age was a lot less focused, and a lot, it, it knew it had stories it wanted to tell in this world, and the main story I thought was really compelling and really fun to be a part of. Um, but it also felt like it was trying to do a little bit of more of a Skyrim thing of going like, or what if there's no story but the one you make, you know? Mm-hmm, and right. those two halves of the game, for me personally, felt at odds with one another at times. Again, overall, I wound up really liking the game. I mean, I sunk 
almost 80 hours into it. You don't do that with a game that's, you know, that frustrating. Uh, I don't know. I'm still watching Gotham on TV. (laughs) You're a masochist. (laughs) (laughs) Glutton for punishment. Um, But yeah, so overall, I'm I'm very happy I played it. I will probably continue to play further further entries in the Dragon Age um, uh, uh, franchise, but there were a lot of times playing Dragon Age where I wasn't having fun I felt like I was doing homework and not in the way that I do frequently when I'm like grinding in Diablo or something in a way where I really was like, oh, okay, before I quit out for tonight, I have to spend half an hour going through this and wandering around Skyhold and, and you know, all this other stuff. So yeah. I'm, I'm of two minds on it. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I think that there is that there's a problem with those type of games structurally in the sense that they want to have this this grand main campaign storyline that is full of urgency and excitement, but they also want to have it both ways with the other half of the take your time, do what you want, have tons of, you know, make a story of your own side quests that allow you to add richness and breadth and depth to the, to the world. But it's like, Oh my, we we need you to, the the dragon's going to attack. So click here to start the next mission. And it's like, I'm going to go pick some flowers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a, Craft you come back a week boots. later and it doesn't make any difference, you know? Right, um, yeah. And then I said, like, I love, I collected every shard in the game. I closed every rift. I fought every high dragon, you know? Like, and I, I'm such a completist that that stuff really scratches an itch for me. Um, well, they found but, a way to make that shard stuff really fun and, like, the, the puzzles where you had to figure out how to draw the constellations was really oh fun and different. I love yeah. those. I love I mean, Distrarium. I wish there were more of them. Can we just say what they've done, though, all these games? They figured out a way to make us feel comfortable knowing how many toothpicks are on the ground when it gets knocked over, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> that a Rain like, Man yep. reference? Yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. We're all, we're all on yep. the spectrum, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, all, I see, I see. That's all these games are. It's like, hey, we know, we know you're high-functioning, um, but you want to do this. <laughs> and we're like, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Well, your your Spectrum game uh, evidently is Far Cry Four right now, Mister Spicer. Also, also on the Spectrum, and and if anyone is, I'm not trying to be offensive. If anyone is being offended by, I'm not trying to make light. I think it's something that uh, a, a lot of gamers have that compulsion itch. You know, people that gravitate towards these types of games. And man, Far Cry, um, no personal disrespect to the writers of the game. The moment to moment dialogue is maybe fine, but the story is just like. What garbage, in my opinion. Or it's are like they, you show are they up, even in the guild? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> I have no respect. And until until your base <laughs> member like Berg is, I don't talk to you. <laughs> exactly. That's why we waited so yeah, long to break back. Yeah, base member. Base member is definitely the, <laughs> my status with that organization. It's one of my goals is to be there. So you know, we're uh, I'm always looking up, Berg. I just uh, I'm one step behind. Uh, <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> uh, it's it's but the man the the moment to moment fun the again on on the collectible like get this do that build your pouch to get this to kill this animal to do that then to do this and then you skydive off this thing and then you strap an elephant with C four then you throw in bait so a cheetah runs in there and then I mean it's it's Far Cry three right it's those same fun experiences but but playing Far Cry four. And, and having it be my late night fix because I don't need to go do a mission. I can just wander around the world and still be making progress as I, you know, gear up. I think I've come to the realization in terms of what, where I am in like types of games. I like that spectrum. Um, I think I might 
prefer third person over first because I think I think I tweeted this out maybe two nights ago. Third person games can have good shooting, like shooting can still feel good in third person, but uh, first person. I haven't really experienced great first person combat or traversal and you know Far Cry certainly isn't about melee combat but you are uh climbing up cliffs and there is a knife and you do takedowns um and it just doesn't feel as satisfying to me uh Dan Trachtenberg hit me back with Warframe which I admit I have not played so I that is my homework for for this week um but I'm wondering if I just like my love affair of Mordor and uh, the Uncharted games as well, and Last of Us, and Gears of War. Um, I think I might just... I'm wondering if I would even like Halo better if the whole thing was when you're in the back of the truck and you see Master Chief. I don't know. I don't feel like first person makes me feel like I'm connected to the game, but I don't know if I'm alone in that. Jeff, do you have a preference? Have you given this thought, or was I just up too late playing Far Cry? <laughs> I tend to... I tend to- agree with you i i you know i'm i'm a guy that most of the games i dig i dig because i got cool gear from a dude and i like seeing my dude with the cool gear on you know i like the new the new swizzle hat that i just got or the new fancy boots that i just from sporting and uh that that is one of the big appeals for third person is that i get to trick out my avatar and you know make him look cool um but having said that i do think there is a thing to first person when it's done right. And, you know, a game like mirror's edge, for example, uh, when first person makes you feel like you're in that experience, uh, even, even games like, uh, like half-life two, when you know, you, you're being spoken directly to, or like the darkness, there's, there's a lot of games that use first person in a way that is more immersive, more interesting, allows me to explore the world in a way that, Third person, it it does it, it 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 distances you from the world. You are playing as this person. You're not playing as you. You're not in it. You are you are you know controlling an on screen character. So I I don't I think, think yeah. What so, sorry, but I think it's interesting about that though that oftentimes, and I'm sure there are examples contrary to this, but oftentimes in first person games, you are playing as a character. You are you know uh, whomever, right? You are the guy in the darkness. Yeah. You are. Uh, the guy in Far Cry, I think AJ or whatever his name is. Right. You are that Gordon person. Freeman, often, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Freeman. And third person games, you are you often. You know, you're Dragon Age, you're uh, Morrowind, you're creating a character, you're uh, Sunset Overdrive. And I wonder if, now that I'm saying it out loud, I wonder if that's because they are trying to make it you, even though you're playing from a third person perspective. Like that's how they want to draw you into the world is with your cool gear. But I think it's so interesting that these first-person games where it's supposed to be immersive and you're playing as it, it's very rarely you. You are a character. I mean, I, I, I've only played Morrowind and Skyrim in first-person. I do not play them third-person. So, Oh, uh, really? Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I wonder, I feel like that's my, uh, Berg, where are you, where did you, is Dragon Age first-personable? Uh, I don't think Dragon Age has no. a first-person mode, but I can speak to Skyrim, which I sunk about 150 hours into whenever it came out. Um, you know, for me, cause I, I love that Skyrim gave you the option, you know, and for me, my main thing in first person games is like, give me the option, you know, like just render that character. And if I, if I don't like being in his head, just give me the option to pull the camera out, you know, like, like I'm reminded of old, you know, like the old cruising USA arcade racing games always had right. like those three camera modes, you know, and it was like, 
the camera's in the car, the camera's behind the car, the camera's way behind the car. You know, and, and my thing is, I think gamers should have the option to choose what's best for them. Because maybe I do feel a little bit more immersed when I'm first person, but also me as a human being would die in any of those situations if I were fully immersed. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I am not capable of keeping track of where everyone is and I get lost more easily in spaces when I'm in first person mode in a game. And it's it's made me not check out games that I feel like I really would have liked. You know, like I, like when Borderlands 2 came out, I heard really good things about it. Um, and I, uh, I went to check it out and I couldn't, I couldn't handle the first person. It was just too much for me. Um, well, you're an established ninny. We've, we've established that you're a ninny. Am, yeah, yeah. I am a card carrying writer's guild member and ninny guild member. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I represent the ninny guild. <laughs> the ninny I mean, guild guild. Uh, you GTA, know, so for, for yeah, GTA like, five did that well, but I think shadow of Mordor would become me throwing up on my floor. If there oh was God, that. Yeah. That yeah, half of the takedowns are just you doing a flip while you behead somebody, you know? Like, I want to <laughs> see that. I don't want to see it from his perspective. Yeah, but I think the exception to that for me is is when Oculus becomes a thing. Like, I, I don't – I can't imagine not preferring – to be in the Oculus, <laughs> you know, at, at some point, yes, there's going to be a nausea issue that we'll have to overcome. But, but beyond that, <laughs> but you will do it. You will take what is I, it, drama I, I or whatever. <laughs> I want to be in it. I want to be in it. Um, the, uh, a boy named dearth in the, in the chat room brought up, uh, the fact that the newest thief game really made first person ex- experience great in his opinion. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think, I think it's uh for me I like to go back and forth. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to mandate all games in one one of those perspectives. Unlike Christian. Speaking of uh speaking of the uh addictions though and uh compulsions, Jeff, what are what are you playing? Yeah, the game that's on my spectrum. Um so I'm still playing WoW. Um and so buckle in for this one because uh I wanted to talk a little bit about the raids in WoW because I finally, you know, got my eye level, my item level up to uh, 640. I'm into normal high mall raid. Okay, so if you're to the uninitiated, basically the end game progression of WoW works like this. First you get to level cap, in this case it's level 100, and then you try to increase the level of your cumulative gear. So all the items that you're you're wearing, there's an average item level and that item level determines what level of dungeons you can start doing. So you start out doing the normal end game dungeons which are level 100 and they're really cool. I've talked about a lot of them before on a previous episode I described uh, Grimrail Depot where you're kind of hijacking this cool like um the great escape kind of uh train hijack sequence it's really cool you crash the train at the end it's awesome so you do those and you get gear from those and then all of a sudden you're high enough eye level to do the heroic version of those same dungeons so you're doing the same dungeons but now they're harder there's some probably a few added mechanics with some of the bosses but for the most part it's the same things and but you're getting better gear there once you've geared up in those high enough, you can start doing the raid content the raid content is is more people it's 25 man 40 man raids and uh, you can do what's called LFR, which is looking for raid, which basically means I'm hopping into a pool of people that want to participate in the raid. And uh, I, it's catch as catch can. It's it's you know you you can jump in with a group of people that you know. You can more likely you're going to be jumping in with strangers. And as such, Blizzard has created a system with LFR where 
it's really the training wheels version of these raids. And High Mall is the big first raid for Warlords of Draenor, for the new expansion content. And there's two different wings of High Mall. It's this big ogre fortress, and there's a bunch of bosses. Um, and so after you do LFRs and you gear up enough there, then you can go into normals. Now, a normal version of the raid is dramatically more difficult than the LFR version. LFR is very much training wheels. And in the the normal version, then above that is heroic and above that is mythic. Uh, you really need to have coordination. You really need to have people that know how to handle the fights, know what the bosses are doing. And uh, it is extraordinarily fun. It is the most fun because you're working as a team. Everybody has to know their role. They got to know what they're doing. You got to work like a well-oiled machine. I'll give you an example. So for Heimal, the very first boss of the first wing, uh, it's really cool from a story perspective as well because in Nagrand, which is one of the big areas in the expansion as you're leveling up towards 100, you get to this area that is this sort of um, gladiator-esque coliseum and there's a series of fights that they put you through and you have to fight these guys in this quest chain. And at the end of the quest chain – you fight the last guy, and then this this dude comes down. Um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Blood Claw? No, Blood Blood Spicer. Something, I think something Blood Spicer. <laughs> that's what it blood is. Uh, anyway, this guy comes, what are we doing? The, fr- <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first boss. Back, the first boss uh, of of Heimal actually walks out and says, "You did good here. I'll see, I'll be seeing you later." So cut to, you know, you've leveled up, you've done a bunch of stuff. It's, you know, weeks later. Now you're entering into High Mall for the first time in LFR or whatever in normal. And you, uh, you, you know, you, you walk through this tunnel, you go to this elevator, you and 24 of your buddies or strangers, whatever the case may be, stand on this pedestal. It's an elevator. It rises you up and you crest into the center of this giant coliseum with huge two-headed ogres surrounding you. There's this chanting. There's all these people. The guys, you know, there's, there's voiceover comes on. He's like, all right, you know, we're going to, you're going to fight these dudes. There's some trash mobs that come out that you have to clear out first. And then the first boss comes out. That first boss is the, that guy who said, I'll see you later. Right? So the mechanic on him, it's really, really cool, right? There, in normal, there's these pits where if anybody falls in the pit, there's tigers down there that kill you instantly. So can't fall in the pits. Um, there, he's going to you know, attack some of the ranged guys, and those ranged guys have to run behind these pillars of flame so that he'll run into the pillar of flame instead. So that's their responsibility. Everybody else is whacking on him. The tanks are whacking on him. And every so often, he will take out this big sort of God of War-esque hook on a, on a chain and, and snag five players from the, from the raid and spin them around over his head and throw them into the stands. Well, he always chooses the five closest people to him. So before the raid, you decide who you want to be thrown up into the stands and how you're going to have to handle that. So as soon as he initiates that attack, which is this channeled attack, those five people make sure to rush toward him. Everybody else backs up. So they're the closest people to him. They get thrown into the stands and then they're fighting in the stands. They have to fight these ogres that are watching their bystanders watching, but they've been throwing things down onto the, onto the players from above. So you can clear out those guys so that they stop attacking your tank and your healers from 
from the stands. After 45 seconds of killing those guys, those people get thrown back into the raid and it all repeats again. That's just the first boss. There's five bosses, I think, in each wing. Each one has wildly different mechanics, but that is the level of coordination it takes. It's 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 this wonderful puzzle slash uh, dexterity slash knowing your knowing your rotation and maximizing your DPS or healing or tanking, whatever it is. And that is why I love World of Warcraft. And that is what I've been doing for the past week. That's, and that's my that's, book report. <laughs> <laughs> that that it sounds, sounds like you awesome. put more thought into that one boss fight than I've had to put into anything I've done in the past 10 years of my life. <laughs> and it's by far the easiest boss in Heimal. Like, it, it gets way more complicated from there. And I think people that don't understand the appeal to these games and see WoW as this weird treadmill and and they don't get what rating is like for me it's it's as complicated it's as it's as much teamwork it's as much thinking as any organized sport as you know it it requires you everybody to know what they're doing it requires this this synergy between players it requires a a, a teamwork a real level of teamwork that is so much fun when it works right I love that you love it. I think part of it, though, and part of the reason I like listening to you tell these stories is that you're a you have a, a good imagination and you're a good storyteller. Where the pessimist is like, oh, you're clicking buttons, watching cooldowns, watching choppy character animations. And I think to some extent, riveting storytelling, or you can almost make any game. Like I love that you love WoW, and I think you know I need to do a better job of imparting my love for the games that I like instead of dismissing them. Where it's like. You know, in Mordor, I'm battling a captain and I come over and what I do is I parry around, right? And at the right time, I'm able to execute a strike. But what I don't know is that one of his minions is over there with the bow and arrow. I should have seen it because when I came in, I could have done force look and looked around and pinged him. But I was so ready to get in there that I rushed in. His minion comes in, shoots me from his shoulder. That messes me up for two seconds, which, you know what I mean? I think it's in, like, you tell it in such a way that I'm like, wow, Blizzard should hire you to... (laughs) say what wow is because i mean but well I, I'm, I'm not saying it's not those things but it's also click click well, but boring, i think that that's click click boring click click boring. That that's, like, all that's all in the same experience that's totally it. because because how you describe shadow of mordor is not inaccurate that is not misleading like that that is that is so a, totally. a perfect interpretation of of what that experience is if you are invested in that experience right and and so and that's any game. That's that's watching sports. Yeah. I'm trying to get Jason Paul on to talk some racing games with us. Like he's a monster on Drive Club, and I was you know DMing him like I can't even touch your times. And he replied, he's like, oh well, half of those are not even me. I'm training one of my friends, so you're even worse than you thought. And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that experience for him is you know I'm looking up the turn. I see I have an S turn coming up here. I can go ahead and do, it. and it's awesome and amazing. And what I think it is, and what I think hearing stories about something that you just aren't into, it's hard to win someone over because they hear that and they're like, that's great. And then they fire up the game and they're like, that's not this at all. Well, that's the the game for me. That's the king of that is Eve online where every story I've ever heard about Eve online has been this epic tale of like space freighters and like political backstabbing and like really like, you know, star Wars space opera level stuff. And then you go check it out and it's like, oh, cool, spreadsheets, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. 
And I think like the thing for me that differentiates the games I love from the games I put down pretty quickly are how how much is the game designer able to convey that vision, you know, like that that emotional experience of like here's why this is fun. How accurately are they able to convey that through the mechanic to the player, you know? And I think for some yeah. games, it takes a little bit more of a will, willful suspension of uh, disbelief on the player's part to say like, no, I, you know what, this is like a game and I'm pushing buttons, but I accept that it's going for this reality versus those games where you can't deny that reality and that's your primary experience. I wonder if that, I mean, I, I see what you guys are saying and I wonder if there is a game where you can't deny it. I mean, I wonder, I wonder, I think the question that you're raising here is what percentage is it investment and uh, participation on the player's part and what percentage is it all accomplished from the designer's perspective, right? I think in any experience, I mean, I could go out on the basketball court and someone could throw me the ball and I could throw it up and make a swish and be like, yeah, well, what's the big deal? I just threw the ball into the hole, you know? And then another person <laughs> yeah. would, would do the same thing and go, three, two, one, oh, I did it! You know, like, it, it, I think it's, I, I yep. think that there is, there, in any endeavor, there is a, a level of, uh, you know, you got to kind of meet it halfway, right? Oh, you know? definitely. I mean, and I like boring games, you know? Like, like the game I got obsessed with over, um, uh, while I was home for Christmas was like this, this game that I could best describe as like, one of my fa- my father's 65 or something like that, you know, like one of his friends described it as a great alternative to like the Nintendo IQ game, <laughs> you know, yeah. you have, it's a puzzle game and you have this grid of buildings and it's kind of like reverse minesweeper. You have to build a wall around the buildings and each building tells you how many walls it has to have adjacent to it and that sort of thing. And there was one puzzle in it that my father and I combined spent two days trying to crack. And then we finally got it one day and it was like a really great gaming moment. You know, it was like this thing I've looked at from every angle. I just missed this one aspect of it. When I finally got it, it felt like all this stuff came together and there's not even the pretense of like an emotional hook, except for the hook that I put into it is like, it's me versus this puzzle, you know? So right. I think at a certain level, it's like, it, it it is like a goodness of fit. You're in a relationship with a game designer. And if you guys have the same likes, you know, it'll be a positive relationship. And if you don't, it'll be a very negative relationship and you'll break up with them by turning the game off very quickly. Yeah. No, I make fair point. Um, awesome. That's a really fascinating discussion. And I appreciate you bringing up that point, Christian. That's, um, you know, it's something to chew on. I think it's probably something we'll revisit at another point as well because I'm I'm fascinated by that that notion. Um, but now let's uh, let's carve out a little tabletop time. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now. Right now. Alex, I understand that you've been playing a. Uh, uh, a board game, a tabletop game, a card game. Is that right? Yeah. 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 This game, uh, uh, Hanabi. Right. Uh, so, so my family is very big on games. Um, uh, my parents even have tried video games at various points in their lives. Uh, but so every, every Christmas when we go home, it's kind of like a unspoken family tradition that we'll all find a new board game or card game to tear each other's throats out about. Um, <laughs> This year it was uh, this game Hanabi. Well, but um, it's a cooperative game, right? It's cooperative, yeah. It's, it's really fun. Uh, so basically what the game is, is you are trying to put on a fireworks show 
And you do that by stacking up um, different firework cards, uh, a couple different colors, like, you know, yellow, blue, red, green, white. Um, and the number's one through five, and you have to start at one and get the way up through five. But the twist is you can't see the cards in your own hand. Um, yeah, everybody and, else sees your cards except you. Yeah, so everyone is collectively trying to tell you how to play your hand, but they can only give you information in limited bites. You know, they can tell you... On any turn, you can choose to play a card, discard a card, or tell someone else about their hand. And if you're telling someone else about their hand, you can either say, uh, these cards are blue, in which case you have to point to all the blue cards, or you can say, uh, these cards are ones, in which case you have to point to all the ones. And what I really liked about the game was, you know, the first couple times we played it, we got decent scores, you know, and then as a family, we sort of sat around, and I, I'm going to make this sound much more productive than it was, but you know, we sort of sat around and would talk about it and be like, okay, you know, we've really been placing a lot of value on preserving the fives, but those actually don't get us as many points as when we really make sure the twos and the threes are getting out there. So let's all collectively focus on this, you know, and there would be like That's a awesome. shocking amount of constructive criticism, which is like really weird. Yeah, but it was, it was super fun and really addictive, you know, because it is that thing where it's like, we're working together to try to get as high of a score as possible. And, and the max score is 25. And so once you start getting above 20, it does become like, a, oh, you'll sort of like wind the tape back and say, well, when you discarded this card, I couldn't tell you what was going on because of this, this, and that. And I was trying to get you to do this. And like the more, like me and my mom, by the end of the week, were very much on the same page with the ways in which we would clue each other into what to do with what cards and stuff. And it was, it was really, really fun and easy Did to you play. Guys did you guys play with the wilds? Uh, no, we didn't. We played just the um, just the straight uh, uh, five color game or whatever. We did. We never ventured yeah. out to the wilds. Yeah, the, then it gets really hard because in that situation where you normally will clue somebody in and saying, you know, these colors, these are blue. If you have a wild card, you have to include that card every time. So oh, yeah. you say, well, these four cards are blue when only three of them are actually blue and one of them is a wild card. So it becomes this brain breaking thing of like. Wait, you said that these were all blue, you know, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's really cool. It reminded uh, me of like, if you remember the game Mastermind, it reminded me of like Mastermind, but friendly instead of uh, I'm going to prove I'm smarter than you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it's awesome. It's an awesome way to be cooperative because you are literally relying on everybody else to play your hand correctly. And when you, you know, you decide to play a card and here it comes and, oh, I played the wrong card. It, it, it's a it's a really wonderful game. It was actually nominated for the Spiel des Jahres a few years ago, which is the sort of the biggest board gaming award in the world uh, in Germany. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a fantastic little card game and really cool if you can get people to to join in on the fun because it it does require everybody to play as a team. Yeah, it really does. And you really do have to work together and go into it with no ego, which is, you know, tough. Yeah. Um, I've had some uh, some cool board gaming experiences in the last couple of weeks uh, as well. Uh, I introduced my wife to Caverna, which is by far the most complex game that I have played with her to date. I mean, she's she's always game for whatever I want to put on the table. Um, you know, she really was digging. <laughs> oh, you get your mind out of the gutter, Spicer, with your giggles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, tonight's she, game always, is the most dangerous game um <laughs> uh, she you know she's always uh she's always willing to to try uh you know the 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 new board games that i'm getting but 
Uh, you know, she's, she really dug Splendor, as I mentioned on the show a couple of times. And, and so I've been sort of slowly introducing uh, more and more complicated games. But, but I actually got Caverna for Christmas, and she gave me this awesome dividing thing. You can buy online this cool, like, box that sits inside the box that divides all the pieces up just perfectly. It's, it's definitely on my spectrum of, like, one of the things I love most about board games is organizing them because I'm that nerd. Um, anyway... So we put that together and I was like, well, would you want to play this with me? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm totally down for it. And then I showed her the rule book. It was actually two rule books and they're very thick and it's very complicated. And she's like, ah, I don't know about this. I said, just bear with me. We're going to do this. We're going to get through this. She ended up really digging the game. She was, she was nervous at first though. Like the first few turns, she's like, I don't, this game has way too many rules. Cause she'd be like, okay, I want to do that. And I'd be like, ah, you can't do that. Why not? Well, because of this and this, I didn't really tell you that before. Cause I didn't want to confuse you, but now you can't do that. She's like, well, every time I want to do something, you say I can't I'm like, well, you'll, you'll get the hang of it. She's like, I kind of don't like how, how many rules there are and they're whatever. But I said, you know, it, this is a game about cave farming. <laughs> so <laughs> it actually all makes sense in the theme you know, yeah, you have to you have to burrow through this cave before you can build a dwelling there, or you have to you know level out these trees in order to make a a, a field. And you can't put any animals on the field if there's no fences because the animals will just wander off. So you know you got to build fences first. So it all makes sense thematically. And after she kind of clicked into that, she's like, I really like this, and it was really such an encouraging moment for me, uh, you know, realizing that these extremely complicated games, when you have somebody that's willing to pay attention and, and give it a chance and go along with you, it can be so much fun to like break through that threshold and, and they realize, oh my gosh, these games aren't intimidating at all. And there's a lot of meat on the bone here. There's so much more the, the the complexity also breeds depth and brings uh, st- strategy to the table. And uh, we had such a great time playing it. I'm really excited that that it worked out. Of course, the flip side of that coin is that, you know, oftentimes if you introduce a, a complex game to a loved one too soon, it turns them off to the whole hobby and they're like, this is stupid. I don't understand. Um, so, you know, you got to you kind of got to feel it out. Um I also, over Christmas, I gave, as Christmas presents, I gave board games to my nephews, uh, 10 and 5. Uh, the 5-year-old, I gave this game called Monza, which is a, um, a uh, Haba game. Haba does games for, for kids, for really young kids specifically. And Monza is such a great, great introductory game for a really young kid because it, it's a racing game. So kids dig it. They get it. It's cars racing around a track. They understand. They, they want to get first place. And each of the, you know, Christian, you probably remember Formula D, right? Mm-hmm. This is like a sort of a little kid version of Formula D. So in the same way that in Formula D, you move your, your little car uh, side to side, but always moving forward by selecting which little square you're going to move to next. In Monza, each of those squares, it has a different color. And you roll a whole bunch of dice on your turn. And each of the dice, they're all just sort of six-sided dice. And each side has a different color on it. So you roll a bunch of dice, and it'll have a pattern of colors. And then you decide in what order you want to use up those colors on the dice to move your car. So you'll try to create this pattern of movement. You go, I'll go red. Oh, now now I can only go either blue or green. Oh, I rolled a green. Okay, so I, I can go green, and now I can only go white, yellow, or red. Uh, I didn't roll any of those colors. All right, well, this is as far as I can move. 
or you know, you you try to use up as many of the colors that you rolled as you can and try to create that pattern to go as far down the track as you can. Super accessible for a five-year-old. He gets it. He understands it. His older brother can play with him. And yet there's also still strategy and cognitive thinking and problem solving involved. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty I cool. I just feel like you're, that your 10-year-old, uh, the 10-year-old was like, yeah, Uncle Jeff said he got us both games for Christmas. And his friend's like, dude, what'd you get? GTA 5, Call of Duty. And he's like, I don't know, man. And he opens up and he's like, cave farming. <laughs> Uncle Jeff. <laughs> no, man, I gave the 10-year-old Forbidden Desert, and he loved it. Loved it. Um, nice. We'll probably talk about that next week. But, yeah, it, it was a huge hit. He was begging everybody to play it with him. Do not you underestimate like, the power of the board game, sir. No, I, I don't. I also don't under, underestimate the power of the bully's fists at lunch. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> Awesome. That's awesome. That sounds that sounds great. I still, I'm, I mean, I'm waiting to play um, X Wing with you. Yeah, but, we got to oh, do that. I meant to do that. X Wing you know, is so fun. X Wing is the best game. And now right. they have the, that same company just put out the the Dragon Wing game or whatever it is, right? That's basically yeah. just X Wing with dragons instead. Yeah, and you can mix and match. You can, so you can have X, yeah, you can yeah. X, have X Wings fighting dragons, which so know, cool. I've been writing those stories personally for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, Christian, I, you know, I've, I've been wanting to have like our just two player day where we play X wing and like a couple of the two player games. Um, so we got to have that. I'm, I'm doing a play right now. So my time yeah. is limited, but, um, Same. crazy. Yeah. We'll do it. We will, we will do it. Uh, all right. So that gets to us to the end of this uh, edition of DLC. I really appreciate, uh, everything guys. We'll, we'll do a parting gift at the end, but before that, Alex, thank you for being here. Uh, tell the people where they can keep up with you if they are so inclined. Oh, sure. So uh, if you have the internet at your home, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at actuallyberg. Um, uh, if you want to see my life through a funhouse mirror, you can go look at my Facebook page, which is not run by me, but by two dozen comedians who delight in making me look like an ass online. And that's <laughs> facebook.com slash berg420. Uh, and if you're in uh los angeles uh you can come see me perform at the upright citizens brigade theater um in hollywood uh i have shows there uh every thursday at 11 and every saturday at seven o'clock awesome yeah we love having you on man i'm I'm glad you are officially friend of the show status because uh always great always great oh thanks guys thank you very much absolutely uh christian what what do you got going on these days yeah this is if you're in l.a uh, January is, is, is going off, uh, every Wednesday night at 10 PM, I do a show at the clubhouse, uh, with Jess Lane and a bunch of, uh, we co-host together. It's called extra credit. And then I'm doing a fun show at UCB. Oh man. I don't know which one it's at sunset or Franklin. Look it up. It's showtime at the Apollo. And, um, you know, with you're encouraged to boo people off. It's, it's recreating that type of atmosphere. That's this Friday at 10 30. I'm going as a uh, Tim Drake. Um, which is a, oh a character whom I've loved. Uh, so if you've ever wanted to boo Christian, you know where to go. <laughs> as as Tim Drake, um, that's this. That's the sixteenth. Then, God, oh man, there's another one. Oh, the the twentieth. Um, I'm putting up a bunch of stand ups. We're doing a long improv set. Uh, there's a group here. They've taken over a show like Super Team, and it's with Winslow, who is good at improvising. And then they have really fun 
um, you know, special teams come out and I'm captaining a team of all standups and I have some awesome standups and we're going to see how we can handle uh, long form. But Berg, don't get too nervous. I have a couple of ringers. You know what I'm talking about? Good. And, good. Uh, need those. and don't go see whatever Alex Berg is doing on the 30th. Don't go to that show because I have a show called Trifecta that I'm doing at UCB <laughs> Sunset with Big Grande and doing sketch and stand up by Rory Scoville. And then, you know, I was like, hey, Berg's a buddy. He's a great improviser. Maybe he'd like to do the show. No, he's already doing a show then. So don't go to that one. Come to Trifecta. <laughs> That's, uh, the, the glove has been thrown down. It's the gauntlet's down. And then uh, February, I'm in North Carolina. We're bringing Improv versus Stand Up back out to the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. Uh, Maria Bamford is there that weekend as well, I believe. Um, and that is the, I'll be there the 13th through the 15th of February if you're anywhere near North Carolina. What, uh, other than your player, do you have things that people can see? You, well, you do. You do have something that people can see uh, soon, right? You're talking about, I did an episode of Scandal. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Yeah, yeah. I, have very, I have a very small part in an episode of Scandal that'll be on, I have no idea when, uh, at some point. But yeah, if you watch that show, keep an eye out for me. Uh, I'll be sitting next to uh, the, this guy from uh, the Twilight movies. Uh, I, I play his partner. Uh, anyway, uh, but yes, uh, if you happen to be in the Southern California area, I am doing a play that opens the 23rd of January and closes the 8th of February. It is called Love, Sex, and the IRS. I play sex. No, not really. Um, it is, uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a silly, wacky farce. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I'll tweet about it as well. It's at the Palos Verdes Performing Arts Center. Um, and uh, yeah, we have concerns. Listen to that show for for your comedic intake. Uh, Twenty minutes, three times a week. It's a it's a it's a good good tide you over until the next DLC. It's fun. We have concerns with Anthony Carboni. We make that three times a week. And uh, the Slash Filmcast. We do movie reviews there. Check that out at slashfilmcast.com. Uh, all right, guys. Before we bid a fond farewell to the fine folks uh, listening. Why don't we give him a little parting gift? This is your parting gift. This is your parting gift. This is your parting gift. Alex, what do you got for uh, a nice recommendation to take them into next week? I got a, I got two quick recommendations, uh, both of which you can access without having to take a single penny out of those uh, precious pockets of yours. Um, the first is uh, James Murphy uh, of LCD Sound System fame recently put out, like right before the new year, um, an album of remixes he compiled from songs made by algorithms channeling raw tennis data at the U.S. Open this past year. Uh, <laughs> Another one a, of those albums? <laughs> yeah, I know. They're a dime a dozen these days. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting uh, project he did with I, IBM where they you know, computerized the tennis match according to various um, uh, data points. And then he came up with an algorithm that would turn those data points into songs uh, live while those tennis matches were going. And then he remixed, um, I think, 12 uh, of those matches into songs. And it's a it's just a really solid album. And I think the first like major thing he's put out since LCD Sound System broke up. Um, 
but there's a lot of really good songs on there and it's become kind of my default uh soundtrack for the day um for the past couple weeks sounds super Uh, rad it's really cool yeah yeah um yeah, but, you know, it's tough to recommend specific songs off because they're all like match four, match 184, match 140, <laughs> you know. So uh, um, it's not, they're, they're not titled like Yvonne Lendl versus John McEnroe. No, not even that. You know, so like I can I can very confidently recommend the match 140 basic satin remix. But beyond that, I'm at a loss to tell you any specific track off of there. Uh, yeah. um, awesome. And then the other thing is uh, on Netflix right now, there's a really great movie um, on Netflix streaming by Don Hertzfeld, uh, who's an animator. I went to called... college with Don. Oh, really? Up at uh, yeah. UC Santa Barbara or whatever? That's right, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so uh, It's Such a Beautiful Day is on Netflix right now, streaming. And it is, uh, I don't want to say too much about it because I want people to have the same experience I did with it, which is going into it kind of, you know, without any uh, preconceived notions and then just having your mind blown. But it's a really, really phenomenal animated movie. It's it's beautiful and sad and and absolutely hilarious uh, and and all this other stuff. Um, and it really just kind of left me shell shocked after I watched it. Um, yeah, he's a so, legit genius. That guy's I, I like mean, a legitimate genius. Yeah, I, I can't. Uh, I really can't give this movie high enough praise. Like it's just, it's just so 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 good. It it you know I think it came out in in twenty twelve, but. For my money, you know, watching that and then watching, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's that's come out recently and gotten wider releases, it it dwarfs them artistically in a way that uh, you don't get to experience too much. So I highly recommend it. Don Hertzfeld's "It's a Beautiful Day," or "It's Such awesome. a Beautiful Day," rather. Uh, Christian, what have you got? Piggybacking off of that to some extent, um, it's award season in Hollywood and people maybe watch the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards are coming up. Um, and so three movies that if you haven't seen, there are house picks, but they're getting, you know, they're in the talks for all of these things that I enjoyed. You might not, but um, I could recommend Birdman. I thoroughly enjoyed St. Vincent. I thoroughly enjoyed and Nightcrawler. I'm super glad I'm, I watched, but I don't know if I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's a, It's a dark <laughs> film. But, I like uh, those, I like Nightcrawler a lot, but it is it is dark. Yeah, it's and and there's not much of a character arc. It's it's dark for dark. Um, but those are three of like if you hear you know they're not blockbusters. It's not Guardians of the Galaxy. That three maybe art picks that you maybe missed that I can wholly recommend for listeners of this show. Subscribe to no. Um, I think Birdman is the easiest to recommend. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favorite movies of the year for sure. Uh, so. You guys may have heard uh, the fact that DLC was put on the uh, Entertainment Weekly's 20 podcast you must listen to in 2015. Lucky for you, you did listen to them, so you're you're you know you're you're doing well. I took it upon myself because we made that list to check out some of the other 20, uh, other 19, I should say, uh, podcasts. One of which is a, a show called Reading Lives. Uh, I'm a big book fan, and you guys have heard me rave this last year uh, about The Martian by Andy Weir, a fantastic book that if you haven't read, read it. It's amazing. Uh, It's going to be a a movie very soon. Um, And uh, they had Andy Weir on this podcast, and I listened to that episode, and my goodness, was it entertaining. Highly recommend you checking it out, Uh, even if you haven't read the book yet. It's it's really a wonderful style of interview because – Yes, they talk about The Martian, but it's not really about talking about The Martian. It's more talking about Andy Weir and what he's into and how he – just like talking about wonderful books he read when he was a kid. And, and you know, it's not exactly a biographical interview. It's more just 
two guys talking about things that they love. And it informs the reading of, of The Martian, but it also just makes me really think that he's just a really affable, cool, genial guy uh, that I think that I could be friends with. Like, he wrote one of my favorite books, and also he seems just like a cool dude. So uh, check that out. Reading Lives is the name of the podcast, and it's the episode um, with Andy Weir of The Martian fame. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of DLC. Thank you to Alex Berg and Christian Spicer. Thank you to all the folks at 5x5 for making this possible. Thanks to all of the people in our chat room that have been hanging out. And thanks to you for downloading and listening to the show. We do hope you like it. If so, why not give us a little review over there on the iTunes? That helps us out. Or even better, recommend the show to a friend. And uh, it'll it'll help us out. We'll see you next week, Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific time. We do the show live here at 5x5.tv. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs> <laughs>